a blessing to see you all. A couple of announcements. Um, we do have an AGM coming up at the end of this month. The treasure is looking a little... <laughs> yep, so that should be good. Uh, more on the specifics of that, specifics of that coming up. Also, uh, with our new bins, we have uh, a helpful little sign that helps you decipher where things go. So all those last-minute like uncertainties, hopefully, we'll just... Because I look, oh, what's, what goes there or there? So that's all cleared up. So please observe the sign and do your best. We'll all work together to recycle and put things in the right place. So we'll be in Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 1. And let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so delighted to be able to gather in your name to sing praises to you and to exalt you because you are awesome. You are um, above all names. There's no one like you. Nothing in heaven or on earth because you have created all things and by your power they exist. They were created and thank you for creating us. Thank you for sending Jesus and making us new creations through the gospel. And I pray that you would Quicken us by your spirit today, that you would fill us to overflowing, that we might understand your words and walk in your truth. And pray that you would increase our faith, that we would be your obedient servants and give honor and glory to you through the way we live in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we're going to talk about walking by faith, how faith, it responds with corresponding action. Uh, in our house, Abel told me, the other, it was a couple weeks ago. He's like, I think I saw a mouse. And I was like, what? In the house. And he's like, I'm not really sure. So because he wasn't sure, I wasn't sure if I should believe him or not. And, but I said, well, we've got a couple traps. I'll put them out. And days passed, nothing happened. But the third day, there was some evidence that uh, the, the traps were clean. I'm like, hey, there, could, there really could be I believed enough to put the traps out, but when I saw them clean, I was like, all right, there may be even more to this than I thought, and so I bought some new traps, more sensitive ones, and the next day, all curiosity was, was over. Like, we had the evidence right there, uh, and so that was the end of that. Um, yeah, caught. He was definitely caught. So there was this eyewitness account, there was the physical evidence, and then there was the thing, but you, you put out the traps because you believe there's a thing, right? That's, that's why you, I did that. And faith in God is, is similar in that what J. Oswald Sanders said, faith enables the believing soul to treat the future as present and the invisible as seen. That that's what faith is. It, it takes God at his word. It believes what he said, that it is true and it's real right now, not just some hazy, in the, hazy time in the future. We have not seen Jesus, but we love him. And faith in him causes to rejoice with joy that words cannot express. Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, For we walk by faith, not by sight. The human tendency is to say, I'll believe it when I see it. Right? That's, that's a very common viewpoint. The Christian view is because God said it, I know I will experience it which is very different. It's a belief in a reality that you may not even be experiencing at the present, but you know it's true because God has said it and he is good. 
That's how we receive salvation. That's how we're born again and we're forgiven of our sins because we believe Jesus having revealed himself and giving us the gospel that this is the result of faith in him, that we are born again. We're confident that having been born again, when we put off this body one day, we're going to be in the presence of God and we'll rejoice with him, not being judged for our sins because Christ has already taken that upon himself. The atonement has been made, the price paid. We're saved by faith in Jesus and we walk by faith in Jesus now. The writer of Hebrews, he explained that the old covenant of law as a means of finding favor with God was obsolete because of the new covenant that God had made through Jesus Christ, his atoning sacrifice. And the previous chapter concluded in Hebrews 10.39, but we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Believing in the word, but believing for ourselves, that it is true. Patient endurance was required to receive that promise. And that's, that brings us up to speed with our passage in Hebrews 11, starting in verse 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Faith, it's a fundamental building block of our salvation. It's a substance of sure expectation. I said last week that when I had strep throat as a kid, I would go to the doctor and they would give me a shot of penicillin. And the first time I had the shot, I wasn't keen to have a needle ever. I was like, do we have to have a needle this time? And no, no, okay, good, I can rest easy. But this time it's like, no, you need to have a needle. And I took the doctor's word and my mother's word that it was gonna be all right, but then I felt the results myself. It was like by the time I left that office, I was feeling really good. So the next time I was sick with this bacterial infection, I was looking forward to the shot because of how good I was gonna feel later. So that was faith um, in this experience because I had experienced it, I wanted it for myself. And so substance, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's an actual thing. It's not an airy-fairy idea. It's based upon reality, upon truth. Faith is not an airy-fairy longing. It's a substance. If custom agents find a foreign substance wrapped in foil or shrink wrap in a piece of furniture, it is a real thing. It's not just a mystical thing. It's a real object that they can do chemical tests to say, what is it? You could put it in with the, you've seen the show where they have, you know, I think it's banned now or it's not being shown anymore, but cops, they have the little vial. They put the powder in. If it turns color, okay, you can be charged with a crime because the chemical composition, it's been identified as a narcotic. It is a substance. It's a discernible thing. So faith is the substance of things hoped for. The word is hypostasis. That's the Greek word. That means concrete essence, confidence, and assurance. It's really the opposite of a hypothesis. It's an actual thing. It's a concrete assurance. A hypothesis is a proposition. It's something imagined to propose for something not understood yet. But we have this evidence. We have this proof through faith. It's, an, it's a substance. 
It's the same word that's used as person in Hebrews 1.3. It says that Jesus is the express image of God's person. So that's real, concrete. A person is a real thing. God is real. And therefore, Jesus is the real God in human flesh. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. Faith is much more than just awareness or acknowledgement of a truth. It's action in light of an unseen reality. You can have two people washing their hands for two different reasons. One, because it's the law. One, because they don't want to offend someone else. Someone else washes their hands because they believe if they don't, they could spread illness. So that's faith. One is not faith. The other is faith. It's saying there could be unseen bacteria on my hands, under my nails, that if spread, someone else could get really sick. So I'm going to wash my hands for that reason. That's faith. Faith is not anti-intellectual. It's according to revealed knowledge. I'm convinced that everyone is a person of faith. The thing that distinguishes Christians is that Jesus is who we put our faith in. That's the difference. Upon his reality, upon who he is, what he has done, his resurrection. You guys have heard that like, oh, he's a, he's a man of faith or she's a woman of faith. But everyone is a person of faith. We put our faith in something. It could be yourself. But we are believers in Christ. Knowledge of God, therefore, it's vital to know his word, to know his will, to do his will. Because it's according to knowledge. Our faith is not just a hope that's unsettled in reality. It's fixed on Christ and what he has said. And therefore, we know what pleases him and we seek to do it as best we can, knowing that he will help us, that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. It says, by faith the elders obtained a good testimony. And that's a good testimony by God. It's one thing if you give a testimony for someone else, but this is God giving a testimony that this is what pleases me. This is what's good. And that should grab our attention, shouldn't it? If we want to please God. By faith in God, Moses, he led the children out of Egypt. By faith, Joshua, he entered the land of promise and the walls of Jericho fell before him. By faith in God, David rose up against the Philistine and defeated him and delivered the children of Israel from the Philistines. We exercise faith in God not to become great ourselves, but because God is great. That's why we trust him. That's why we follow and believe him. We're going to get into a, a, quite a list here in chapter 11 of various people who placed their faith in God and by faith, their faith was uh, demonstrated by the things they did. It wasn't just a mental thing. It, was, it actually lived out by their decisions and the things they did. And the writer of Hebrews, he begins at the beginning, he affirms that God created the heavens and earth by his word. It was not something that came from something else. It was God spoke it, and by the power of his word, there was nothing, and then there was the earth. There was the planets. There was each kind that reproduces after its own kind. Everyone spoken into existence from nothing. Genesis 1-3, then God said, let there be light, and there was light. The Bible is entirely consistent on this point that God created all there is out of nothing by his power. That's how powerful his word is. Psalm 33, 6 through 9, it says, 
By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. The things that are seen are not made by what was seen, by, by what is invisible. That's the word of God. But knowing that God created our heaven and earth by his word, it's evidence of the power of his word, that he can speak light into darkness, that he can bring healing where there was only, where there was nothing. Any supposed intellectual problems believing what God has plainly said, it's really a lame excuse due to the sin of unbelief, where God said it. And this is God we're talking about. It's not a man that he should lie. Those who place their faith in God, they have understanding that the most learned people in the world lack because God's word is spiritually discerned. God reveals himself to those who trust in him. Continuing in Hebrews 11, 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, being dead, still speaks. We start having these examples now of those who had a good testimony before God. And we see Abel here. Cain and Abel, the sons of Adam and Eve. And in Genesis 4, 3 through 5, it talks about how they both brought offerings to the Lord. It says, And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. Now, these offerings were given before the covenant of law. We don't know precisely why they brought these. Um, and we see that they're different. One gave of the fruit of the ground and the other of the lamb. But the biggest takeaway for us, and the most important difference, is God respected Abel and his offering. It was like he respected the offering because he respected Abel, because of, he offered it in faith. Cain's was not offered in faith, therefore he was not respected. I mean, to be respected by God, to be acknowledged by him, that's what we want as children of God or as a sinner who needs a savior. Righteousness, that's the only way to have acceptance with God and God accounted his faith as righteousness. Abel's faith in God, it was demonstrated through the offering of this lamb. And it's likely that that sacrifice was received by fire from heaven. That actually happened many times in the Old Testament, like the, uh, when the tabernacle was built, the fire from God fell upon the offering. When the temple was built, again, the fire fell from heaven. Uh, Elijah and the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, the fire came, and so they knew that it was accepted by God. But Cain, he's got that cold altar no fire, no acceptance, and he's angry about it. But it was the faith of Abel that made the difference. God was Abel's witness. It's like, you, if you are in the right, you would want to have a witness in a court of law who would back you up, right? How about God being your witness? Your king, the judge of all the earth, he says, oh, I will speak for him. I will speak for her. He's the one you want uh, vouching for you. 
Hebrews 11.5. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Abel was taken from the earth by his murderous brother Cain. Enoch taken by God in a very different way. The King James puts it, he was translated. And that's really a good word because we translate typically one language to another language. So it's the same idea but in different words. And Enoch, he went from having a physical body living on earth to having a spiritual body living with God in heaven. God's like, you're so close to me, why don't you just stay with me? And, and he just translated him into, and it, without seeing death, and it's really neat, in another form. We read that in Genesis 5, 21 through 24. There are a lot of verses today, but I think you'll be able to handle it. Uh, Genesis 5.21, Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years, had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Enoch walked by faith with God to such a degree after 365 years, and those antediluvians lived much more than those after the flood. God translated Enoch from living on earth to living with him in eternal glory. It's really a picture of the way Jesus will take the church to be with him in the rapture. By faith in God, Enoch did not see death. He was translated from one form to another form to be with God. And his translation was a testimony that he pleased God. The only other mention, really, of Enoch in Scripture is in Jude 14 and 15, there's a prophecy that's attributed to Enoch. Aside from this, all writings or quotes attributed to him are really most dubious. That's being very kind, saying that. Uh, I was reading, because I hear people reading the book of Enoch, uh, Encyclopedia Britannica, it's not a Christian source, it says this on the book of Enoch, which is believed to have been written between the 2nd century B.C. and 2nd century A.D. Therefore, not written by Enoch, because Enoch was taken before the flood. Okay, so not written by Enoch. It says, its survival is due to the fascination of marginal and heretical Christian groups. So I'm like, well, that, that's certainly nothing I want to place my faith in. I don't want to just give rise to speculation instead of edification, which comes from the word of God. Verse 6, it, ne- it emphasizes the necessity of faith in God to please him. So you have faith, great. But is your faith in God? Are you following him because you trust him? Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. He who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So believing that God is, and that's always going to be true because he was, he is, and he is to come. He is that he will do all that he said, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God rewards those who seek him. Like David said, our cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That abundance forever from following Jesus, our good shepherd. There's a lot of things people do to please God. 
say, well, why are you doing that? Oh, I want to please God. Oh, good. But don't miss these basic requirements to please God. To believe he is and to believe that he rewards those who diligently seek him. This word diligently seek, it's rendered require. It's like people who need him, people who crave him, people who need to spend time with him, who have a hunger to know more of him, to follow him closely, to walk with him. In the Strong's, it means to search out, investigate, crave, demand. We can be almost instinctive to ask Alexa or Google something for the answer of our wonderings. You know, you're sitting around, it always happens during dinner. Oh, what about this? What about that? You talk about the shower thinking, you know, the moment of you're just kind of musing on something. What is the answer to that? Alexa, what is the answer to this? Cool, I have the answer. And you, you actually put a bit of faith in that. Uh, but do you seek God like that? Instinctive. He has the answer. And how many of us had said, I want, I'm seeking God to know what to do in this situation? Better than seeking God what to do, seek God in that situation. Because he'll, he knows what to do. Right? So it's not just about you knowing something. It's about you knowing him. And if you know him, he will lead you step by step. If you truly desire to please God, you will believe him that he exists, that he is available, that he's, he's honoring his word, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. The Bible says that God will reward all people according to their works. There are a lot of times in the scripture a reward is not a good thing because they're being rewarded for their evil, but they're also rewarded for good. Jesus said in Revelation twenty two twelve, 12, And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Knowing that God rewards us, and that's repay, repaying us for what we do, that should motivate us to pleasing him rather than just trying to avoid offending him, right? We ought to do the positive, to seek to do what pleases him. We expect God to make good on his promise of forgiveness of sins and to give us everlasting life by faith in Jesus. And you ought to expect God to reward you according to his word, according to his promise. And the good that we can do, it's because it's God in us. It's he who works in us and through us. What do these rewards look like? Do you know? The Bible tells us what many of these rewards are, but I'll give you a couple of them. God spoke to Abram in Genesis 15.1 in a vision. He said, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. I am your reward. Is that good enough for you? If that's not very good for you, if you're not, well, he's the only good thing that there is. <laughs> Something's definitely wrong if that doesn't fire you up to think about I am your exceedingly great reward. Paul said this in Colossians 3, 23 through 25, and whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. The reward of the inheritance. We have an inheritance in heaven. We are now co-heirs with Jesus Christ as a child of God. 
That is unbelievable, right? That is amazing. We believe it only because God said it. No one could aspire to this, but God has promised. And so we take him at his word. The children of Israel, they received inheritance of land by lot. Those who have their faith in Christ, that you have a home in heaven, a place where you actually belong. Because we don't really belong here. This is not our home on earth. We are now born again citizens of heaven where we will sometime be with God forever by grace. How good. How good is that? Hebrews eleven seven. By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. The scriptures say that Noah found grace in the eyes of God. God looked upon the world, he saw it was full of wickedness, but Noah found grace in the eyes of God. And God revealed in Genesis 6 of the destruction he would bring upon humanity for their violence and their sin. God's warning of future judgment also had a directive that he was to build an ark, this big ship out of gopher wood. And the fear of God, this passage said, moved Noah to action, preparing an ark for the saving of his household. He was totally successful in what he intended to do. His whole household was saved. That's pretty awesome. I'm like, that's a pretty big house as well. His wife, his three sons, all their spouses, they were aboard when the waters began to rise. And it wasn't that he was like a good weatherman and had some instruments or like, oh man, I think this could be an area that would flood. If there was a bit of water coming down, we'd be in trouble. So we built this boat. No, it was because he trusted God. Something that had never been seen before unprecedented flood, he prepared for a hundred plus years for that. It was only survivable by obedience to God and his faith condemned the world. It reminded me of the Rechabites in the book of Jeremiah. You guys know the Rechabites? Pretty cool story. It's, it's one of those little nuggets that I love about the Bible. So, uh, in Jeremiah 35, the prophet was told, hey, call the Rechabites together and put some wine in front of them and tell them to drink it. So these, they, they were uh, people who lived in tents. They came and they say, all right, drink wine, everybody. And they go, no, you know, Jonadab, our father, heard from Rechab, his father, that his descendants were not to drink wine, were not to plant seeds, plant a vineyard, or live in a house. We only live in tents. And God's like, check this out. Two generations on, these guys are honoring their father. But you guys, children of Israel, men of Judah, you're not listening to me at all. You're going after idols. They condemn you by their obedience to their dad that I receive as unto me. It says that in Jeremiah 35, 14, the words of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, which he commanded his sons not to drink wine, are performed. For to this day they drink none and obey their father's commandment. But although I have spoken to you, rising early and speaking, you did not obey me. And so for that they would be judged. They would go into captivity. But he says, those Rechabites, they will not lack a man to stand before me forever. I mean, that is just, I love it when God talks like that. Because he's the only one who can. 
It's got so much weight to it. It just spurns me on to say, I want to be like the, the sons of Rechab, who were like, God's like, you know, have you considered my servant Job? Have you considered these guys, how they just obey dad? They don't have to, but they choose to. And so I receive that. God received that. Noah became heir of righteousness according to faith, demonstrated by that godly fear and obedience. I don't think he was a shipbuilder. That wasn't his job. But God gave him that job, and he did it. Hebrews 11, verse 8, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place where he would re- which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs of him with the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Abraham obeyed God when he was told to go out to the land that God would show him his inheritance. Now, Abraham was a very well-off man. He was 75 years old. He had vast possessions. Wells he had dug. Fields he had planted. He had an inheritance coming from his father. I don't know about you, but I don't leave my house unless I know where I'm going. Right? I, I left this morning to go to church. I leave to go to the shops. I leave because I need to run an errand or pick up something from Bunnings or go to a sporting match at the ground or, uh, you know, uh, someone's house to do a job or to, to have dinner or something. Like, there's always a reason I leave and I know where I'm going. Abraham's 75. He's settled. He's wealthy. He's prosperous. He has no idea where he's going and he's living in a tent. Can you imagine someone 75 years old going, I'm going where God's showing me, and now they're living in a tent by the side of the road? You would think that was odd, right? Very strange. Not so good for your health. This is not restful. This is not relaxing. This is not the reward of a long life of of hard work, tent camping, permanently. But he left the comfort and the safety of his home, his friends, his land, a place where he had a reputation, the house he built, the crops he planted. He obeyed the call of God to leave. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise without building a structure. He's tent camping all the way until his death because he believed what God told him. God said, walk through this land in every direction. This is the land that I'm going to give you and your descendants as an inheritance. He, his son, and his son's son continued to do that. Abraham never settled down permanently because he was looking for a city that had foundations whose builder and maker is God. Now, a tent doesn't have a foundation. It's just held up by ropes and sticks. But he's waiting for something not of this world, something that was made by God where he would dwell forever. So he never settled down. Because he was resting in God and what God had said. That's where his rest was. It wasn't a nice house. It was in God. There was a heavenly country that he was looking for, he was waiting for, he was longing for. 
Hebrews 11, verse 11, By faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore from one man, and him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Sarah, Abraham's wife, she received strength to do what was physically impossible for her by faith in God. Bearing a child in her old age, she was 90 years old. Genesis 18, it, it tells us that Abraham received three guests. Why don't you turn there? Genesis 18, starting in verse 9. There's three men. They, one of them turned out to be God in the flesh. The other two, angels. Genesis 18, verse 9. Some great stuff here. Then they said to him, where is Sarah your wife? So he said, here in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah your wife shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. Thin walls, right? Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh, saying, surely shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. So this idea of her having a child at this advanced age, it was laughable. She was like, come on, that's ridiculous. It's the silliest thing I've ever heard. And then God's like, why, why is Sarah laughing? And uh, Abraham had no answer for that. That, that initial answer, it was un, that initial laughter, right? It was unbelief. It was like, no way. That's ridiculous. That's crazy. But she began to consider him who spoke. These weren't just two travelers. This was the Lord who spoke. She looked beyond her 90 years of infertility, Abraham's impotence, one as good as dead, and looked upon the promise of God with assurance. And started working towards that, I'm sure. Like, in a year's time, we're going to have a little kid. We're going to have a child. Thinking about that, believing it, because God said it. Now, God has not promised that everyone will be married or have children, but we, have, have, we can have faith. God will do all he's promised us, even when we haven't yet personally experienced the fulfillment of it. Even as something we would laugh about. Out of unbelief, a year later, she was laughing for a totally different reason because she gave birth to a son. And she's like, who would have thought that Sarah would have a child? No one would have thought this, but God did. God was faithful who promised. He brought his word to pass. Hebrews eleven thirteen. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they all died in faith, not having received the promises, right? They never saw on earth that city with foundations whose maker was God. Faith 
the substance of things expected and known caused them to live with assurance of what God had said that it would come to pass. So they trusted and they obeyed him. And they realized what we can forget, that earth was not their home, that their homeland was not their home. They had a home in heaven, something to look forward to. They didn't seek to build an empire for themselves on earth. They looked forward to joining God and receiving rewards from him. Faith, it responds in corresponding action. They, they, the fact that they remained strangers and pilgrims on earth, it showed they understood their time here was temporary. You guys have gone to a hotel, right? And you're going to be there for one night. Do you fill up like a, a trailer and bring all your clothes and all your stuff and start arranging it? You know, start a little renovation. It's like nine or, yeah, you know what? This closet should be moved over there. This is better. I'm going to take all my clothes and fill all this chest of drawers. I'm going to get this closet going, you know, remodeling. No, you're, you're only there for a night. You're going to live out of your suitcase. So that's what they did. They weren't trying to build this life for themselves. God was their life, and they followed him. The traveler knows, I'm just here for a night because they're moving on. Now, interestingly, God's directives were totally different for the children of Israel when they went to captivity in Babylon. They weren't to treat Babylon like Abraham treated Canaan. This is really important because we can be of such extremes and, and think that it only works one way. But this walk of faith, it's, it's, it's daily, it's continual in believing what God has said and honoring him. God told them to build houses, to settle down to live there. Turn to Jeremiah 29, 4 through 7. Jeremiah said this to the captive children of Israel in Jeremiah 29, starting in verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters. And take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased there and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace, you will have peace. So in faith in God and what he had said, they weren't to pray to get back to Jerusalem soon. They were to settle down. They were to build houses. They were to have children and see their children have children, to eat the fruits of the things they planted and expect to be there for 70 years. And so it was faith in God that they settled down. Faith in God. Abraham, he kept traveling. He stayed in a tent. And this is how we are to live, in obedience to what God has told us. And we don't always have those numbers like 70 years and we can just put it out of our mind. No, we have to be following him every day because we trust him. He's worthy. And they were to pray for the peace of where God put them. And through them, peace would come to Babylon. And that's powerful. Verse 15, it says, If Abraham compared Canaan to the place where he came from, he very, very well have returned to Haran. If he said, you know, 
I've been up and down through Canaan, and it's all right. A lot of work to do, but Haran, man, so much better. But he wasn't thinking about that, and he wasn't dissatisfied where he was because he was looking ahead. He was looking to God, whom he followed. He wasn't chasing security or prosperity. He desired a better country, a heavenly country. He didn't want to go back to how things were. Because you know what? Even when you do, it's not the same. He looked to the Lord, where God was leading him. By faith in God, he had contentment. He had patience. He entered into God's rest. And we say, we shouldn't be ashamed of the gospel of Christ But you know, I don't want God to be ashamed of me. And he says, God's not ashamed to call them his children, those who trust in him, those who follow him. On the first Sunday of the month, we do receive communion together by faith and obedience to Christ, believing. We we receive this because we believe we have the atonement. We're not having to atone for our sins. We have received it. We've received forgiveness. We've received salvation. By faith, Jesus went to the cross. By faith, Jesus suffered. And he died for the joy that was before him. It's like he looked through the cross, he looked beyond the grave, and he saw the joyful salvation of his inheritance. See, Abraham was looking for an inheritance, a heavenly one. Jesus was looking towards his inheritance, which is you and me, bought by his grace, by his own blood. He loves us to that degree. He looks forward to spending time with us today and forever. We're not worthy of this. He faced the rejection, the sorrow, the pain for the joy that was set before him in faith in God. And the writer of Hebrews draws our attention to this in Hebrews 12 too, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus endured because he knew where he was headed. He knew what the Father had said. He knew the Father's will. And we can look beyond our own suffering and uncertainty, looking to Christ, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We eat of the bread, we drink of the cup to proclaim the death of Christ till he comes. His death, it demonstrated his love for sinners and his resurrection demonstrated his power over sin and death and the ability to give the life that he's promised us. And how rewarding it is to put our faith in Jesus to walk by faith and not by sight. And so for some of us, as we eat and drink, it could be an act of faith. For other people, it could be just an empty ritual. But know that we do this to proclaim something, to proclaim the death of our Savior until he comes. And all are welcome who are in Christ to partake. Uh, Once the song begins, uh, we'll start passing out the elements, and everyone's welcome. And then once everyone's received and the song is over, I'll lead us in a prayer. You know, we have a home. It's in heaven with the Lord forever, the great God who loves us. Let's thank him. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for the the example of all these men and women of faith who looked to you, who obeyed you. And I pray that we would do the same, that we would receive 
your truth. We would walk in light of this reality that Jesus is alive. He has conquered sin and death. He has provided atonement once for all for the sins of mankind, that there's nothing that could be added to what Jesus has accomplished on Calvary. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for revealing your will to us and for giving us the wisdom and strength through Christ to do all things you command us. I pray, Lord, we would walk in your ways. We would examine our hearts. You would just reveal if there's sin to confess. And, Lord, your word says that if we say we have no sin, we're calling you a liar. So, Lord, we repent. We turn to you. We repent of our unbelief. We repent of our selfishness. And we desire that you be glorified through our lives, that we would rejoice in your salvation and in the fellowship we have with you and one another by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.